breast cancer. Those are two words your patients don't want to hear and news that you don't want to deliver. Unfortunately for one in eight American women, it's a truth they'll have to face in their lifetime. And the risks are clear. Besides being female, the two major risk factors for developing breast cancer are advancing age and family history. In fact, about 80% of women diagnosed with invasive breast cancer are age 50 and older. And while family history of the disease is an important risk factor, up to 80% of women diagnosed with breast cancer don't have one. Unfortunately, many women still have misperceptions about who is at risk. They think, I don't have a family history of breast cancer, so I don't need to worry. My mom had breast cancer, but I'm only 43. The good news is that with early detection, we can try to reduce the risk of breast cancer mortality. Through awareness and education, we hope to improve patients' willingness to be screened for breast cancer. To help in this effort, Lilly has created the Strength in Knowing Breast Cancer Awareness Program and website. It's designed to educate women about their individual risks and provide a means for them to share this knowledge with others. At strengthinknowing.com, women can hear from professionals as they discuss the importance of knowing the risks of breast cancer, find out about events they can attend in their city, and help spread the message. The resources may also be helpful to you and your practice. There is strength in knowing about the risks of breast cancer. So spread the word today. Visit strengthinknowing.com and tell your patients to visit too. I didn't realize I was at risk until I visited. I told my sister, my mother, and my aunt. This program is sponsored by Eli Lilly and Company. Answers that matter. You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Advances in Women's Health, sponsored in part by Eli Lilly. Your host is Dr. Lawrence Stryker, Assistant Clinical Professor of Obstetrics and Gynecology at Northwestern University Medical School, the Feinberg School of Medicine. Every physician who takes care of women recognizes that there is a significant psychiatric component to essentially every major gynecologic and obstetric issue. Today, to discuss the role of the psychiatrist in taking care of obstetric and gynecologic disorders is Dr. Nechama Dresner, an associate professor of clinical psychiatry, obstetrics and gynecology at Northwestern University's Feinberg School of Medicine and director of Wellsprings Health Associates. Welcome, Dr. Dresner. Now, for years, you were the psychiatric liaison to Prentice Women's Hospital, giving you a unique perspective on the psychiatric issues surrounding many gynecologic and obstetric conditions. So what I'd like to focus on is, is the psychological impact on patients who are not identified as having psychiatric problems, but who are faced with catastrophic obstetric and gynecologic situations. And what I'd first like to, to discuss before we get into some specific disorders is in general, you know, gynecologists very often will meet a patient the first time when they are in the middle of this catastrophic situation. So how does the clinician differentiate between the patient who's having a situational depression or anxiety attack to bad news that they've just been given, whatever it is, versus the depressed patient who then 
happens to have a medical illness? These are great questions. And I always, my motto is, if I do my job right, I won't have a job. Meaning that if I'm able to educate non-psychiatrists about the psychological and psychiatric aspects of their patient's care, then that can be all integrated into care that they provide. So these are, these are great questions. The most important thing, and I sort of stand on the soapbox at least once or twice a week, is to get a careful history. If when a physician meets with a patient for the first time, two of their routine questions are, have you ever seen a psychiatrist or a therapist? And have you ever been treated for depression or anxiety? You will have the answers to all of the questions that you're asking in the sense that, is this a person who's at risk? Now, not everybody who's had a history of depression or anxiety or been in psychotherapy is vulnerable to have necessarily a depressive reaction to bad news. On the same hand, I have this wonderful cartoon that I use when I give lectures, and it's a picture of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer lying on an analyst's couch. And he says to the analyst, they used to laugh and call me names, you know. So it's sort of a fundamental, who is that person? What's their personality like? Are they vulnerable? Are they hardy? Are they resourceful? Or are they very fragile in their personality structure and in their social supports? So those are all things that are, there's really no way to know in terms of, you know, those factors for a period of time until you have rapport with that patient. But the historic questions you can ask. And if that's somebody who has had a history of a psychiatric illness that they've been treated for or that they've been in psychotherapy or under the care of a, a mental health provider, that might be a place to explore a little bit so that you know where they might be at risk in terms of dealing with this crisis. Well, let's talk about some specific situations. One of the catastrophes that usually is not predicted is, of course, in the case of a term loss, such as a stillbirth or a neonatal death. So what points can you give the obstetrician in terms of dealing with this appropriately and at what point the psychiatrist should be Anyone who, who knows me personally knows that I'm not often speechless. But those are clinical situations, I think, in which I find myself absolutely speechless. What can you possibly say to be of comfort to a couple who has usually spent some time trying to become pregnant, who's planned the pregnancy, and who's, you know, t- doing everything that they could possibly do to have a healthy pregnancy and for no apparent reason loses the pregnancy? I think first and foremost, there's, there's really two groups that need care. One is a physician. Uh, it's a terrible experience for a physician. I mean, there's so many things that we can't predict, that we can't control. You can do as many ultrasounds as you want, and you can, you know, check labs, and you can do prenatal visits, and still uh, there could be a bad outcome. You can be in the delivery room monitoring everything, and there can still be a bad outcome. So that feeling of having the rug pulled out from under you, of vulnerability, can sometimes really destabilize a physician. And, and be honest, do you think most obstetricians have a clue what to do or how to deal with this or have had any training? I think our tendency in difficult situations is to recoil. And so we become less available emotionally to our patients when there's a crisis because we're sort of trying to gird our loins to figure out how to manage it ourselves. Mm -hmm. So sometimes physicians feel defensive. They're afraid they're going to be sued. And so they don't say very much or they don't really want to meet with a patient or they just don't know what to say and they don't say very much. And the patient might experience them as being unempathic. Ideally, they could empathize with the patient. They could cry with the patient. They could, you know, sit with them in their in their grief. And sometimes it's the kind of thing that, again, in the context of somebody who's already been treated for depression or somebody who becomes even kind of demanding afterwards, wanting to meet with a physician over and over again, asking all sorts of questions about the pathology. You know, people who, who seem to be wanting to use information to manage their grief when really you get the sense that this information isn't really doing the trick. They really need to sit down and talk with someone. Those are the folks where it's clear that, that a psychiatric intervention would help. Do you think psychiatric intervention should occur in the hospital immediately? Or do you think that that's almost too much to to say to a woman, to to say, you know, you've had this horrible loss and we want you to meet with a psychiatrist? Do you think... Well, one of the things that I I feel very proud about having 
pushed for <laughs> at Northwestern was uh, many years ago to have a perinatal loss worker in the hospital so that every patient who has a loss is seen by a social worker, someone at a master's level, as sort of a routine visit. It could be a pastor. It could be a chaplain after the loss in the hospital. How about are we talking before delivery, after? Sometimes you have a stillbirth that the woman is told, of course, that the baby is dead, and then she has to go through labor, which might not happen for two or three days. Do you get involved that early? Depends. I think checking with a patient to see what makes most sense to them is helpful. It can be done in those interim days, which are torture, torture days for patients to be waiting, knowing that they're going to be induced or they're going to you know, have the pregnancy terminated in a couple of days, but I don't have any OR time until, until Wednesday, or we can't schedule it until such and such a date. Some patients prefer to have a supportive contact afterwards. There are plenty of patients who want to be finished with it and not really think about it. So not every patient wants to create a memory box and bury the baby. And really having someone with some expertise in the hospital on site uh, is extremely important. There's a question also, even in cases of terminations, if it's appropriate to offer that to patients, even though it's an elective procedure, it's, it's still traumatic. You're listening to Advances in Women's Health on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Lauren Stryker, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Nahama Dresner about treating women with obstetric and gynecologic problems who then develop psychiatric or psychological issues. Let's move on. We talked a little bit about some of the obstetric tragedies. There are also gynecologic crises. And I think the one that I think of most often as an inpatient crisis is the woman who is diagnosed with a gynecologic cancer. What is the role of the psychiatrist, and at what point should the psychiatrist be introduced, if there is such a role, in the woman who's told that she has ovarian cancer, uterine cancer? Again, this is a scenario where I think our job as, as mental health providers is really to educate gynecologists, gynecologic surgeons, gynecologic oncologists to really employ a holistic approach to these kinds of issues with patients. Talking to a patient about their medical condition shouldn't be the job, uh, shouldn't be parsed out to someone else. It should be part of the job of the medical team. In a case where someone refuses treatment or someone refuses to eat or someone says, I don't believe you, I want a second opinion, I'm leaving the hospital immediately, you know, postoperatively and going someplace else, where there's some kind of upheaval, that's absolutely a place for an inpatient psychiatric consultation at that moment, where the psychiatrist who works with medically ill patients in the hospital would come, would discuss the situation with the team and with the uh, nursing staff, and then interview the patient and their family and kind of get a feel for what's going on and try to provide some support and usually education. So there's usually kind of a psychoeducational intervention that needs to take place that sometimes the physician, the OBGYN or the gynecologist has the finesse to manage. And sometimes it just requires a little extra support from outside. But it sounds like it it should be automatic as far as even just an evaluation. And it's certainly not. I mean, I'm in staff at a wonderful major medical center where I know that there is not psychiatric intervention in every woman who comes in with a new diagnosis of cancer. And, you know, a lot of issues, end of potential end of life and end of fertility. I think that integrating that kind of responsiveness and access into the healthcare team depathologizes the situation. That not everybody who gets a diagnosis of ovarian cancer develops a major depressive episode. Everybody clearly has, if you think about sort of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's stages of grief, that would be something to educate people about so that they can anticipate what the experience is going to be like for the patient and at what moments they might be experiencing anger or at what point they might be expected to have some level of acceptance and about their condition, what the focus of support might need to be for them. I think sometimes it makes patients feel 
it pathologizes patients unnecessarily to have a psychiatric, have even someone from outside the team come in and say, hey, this is really bad. Let's talk a little bit about the office. I think, you know, certainly as a gynecologist, one of the ongoing challenges of my day is talking to the woman who's been happy, well-adjusted, everything is terrific, and all of a sudden her ovaries shut down, she's not making estrogen anymore. You know, there's black box warnings on, on every type of estrogen there is so that she feels that she can't have that to help her through this. And suddenly she's dealing with anxiety, depression hypoactive sexual function. Tell me a little bit about your approach to this patient. These, I think, are the most complex uh, patients in that sort of age group. Women who are experiencing uh, perimenopause, going through a menopausal transition, and are in this in this sort of nexus of not feeling completely comfortable with hormone replacement therapy, which has worked great for a long, long time. My rule is that anything that disrupts sleep is going to mess with your mind. <laughs> that uh, 80% of patients with sleep disturbance develop a depressive disorder, mood disorder. And that's something we really have to work at preserving. I wish to thank our guest, Dr. Nahama Dresner, for helping us understand the challenges surrounding identifying and treating women in which gynecologic and psychiatric issues interface. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Advances in Women's Health, sponsored in part by Eli Lilly, with your host, Dr. Lawrence Stryker. For more details on the interviews and conversations in this week's show, or to download the segment, please go to reachmd.com forward slash women's health.